John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he's now at Bethany, and it's six days before the Passover. And then verse 12 says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after them. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Skip down to verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. 
And I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 44 to the end of the chapter here. Verse 44 through 50. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has this which has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say of what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. That is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Christ. And we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds. And even now, God, by your Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us through your word. Reveal yourself to us by your spirit. Give us eyes to see Jesus ever more clearly that we would steadfastly gaze into that image and so be transformed into the very same image that we would be your people in this earth. Lights and witnesses that our lives and our testimonies would bear witness to your glory and to the salvation and the hope found only in Jesus. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus is made his way to Jerusalem, and so this chapter begins telling us that it's six days before the Passover. And so more than likely what's happened is Jesus has come to Bethany as the Sabbath is approaching. Uh, so think uh, Friday afternoon as the Sabbath is approaching because the Jews didn't measure time from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. making a day. Their day began at sunset. So at, at sunset, at six in the evening, just for a nice round figure, the new day would begin. So as Jesus is coming into Bethany, he gets there, and more than likely, since it was the onset of the Sabbath, there was a meal prepared, and he is having supper there, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus are there, Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. And Jesus uh, is getting ready to go into Jerusalem. On the Sabbath, he would have rested, he would have eaten that meal, and we see later on, and, and we see in the other Gospels, that Jesus goes into Jerusalem. It's late in the day, and he leaves, and he goes back to Bethany. And so by the time the triumphal entry comes, this is more than likely, this is why we call Palm Sunday. It is believed that it was that Sunday, the first day of the week, that Jesus actually went into Jerusalem 
He may have gone the afternoon or the, the briefly after the Sabbath was over if there was daylight left. But more than likely, this is Sunday morning. Jesus is going when we see this triumphal entry. Now, we know he went uh, other times. We know he cursed the fig tree, and there was a time where they saw the fig tree beginning to wither, and then the next morning they come back, and it's completely dead. And so this is the time, the morning time, the, the, the fullness of the day is left here, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And we see the multitudes are gathered there because it's the Passover. And for the Passover, uh, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this was one of the feasts where every male was commanded to gather in Jerusalem. And so there were literally people from all over the world there, Jews from all over the world that had come to Jerusalem. And the multitudes by this time had heard of Jesus. And when they heard Jesus uh, had come to Jerusalem, they all go out to meet him because as he's leaving Bethany, um, it's, it's only a couple of miles to Jerusalem. The word is Jesus is here. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. So as the entourage is approaching Jerusalem, the multitudes are coming out from Jerusalem. They're meeting Jesus. They form this, this procession and the, and the roadway is lined with worshipers who have taken palm branches, who have taken off their cloaks and have laid their clothing and have laid the palm branches along the road as Jesus is riding this donkey, this colt, into Jerusalem in fulfillment of the Scripture. And so they're crying out, Hosanna to the King, save us. Save us, God. Save us in the highest. And they're crying out, proclaiming Jesus as the king. All of this literally days before Jesus will be crucified. And the cries will change drastically from Hosanna to the king to crucify him. Now, as we go through this, and Jesus is coming in and... Um, he gets into Jerusalem. If you were at the Passover Seder last night, remember on the 10th of Nisan, that was the day the lambs were taken into the house. They were, they were brought and kept in the house. The lambs were chosen that would be ultimately sacrificed. And so what we see here is Jesus, the Lamb of God, God's Lamb, is going to his Father's house to present himself as the sacrifice, knowing that at Passover, Jesus would become the lamb that was sacrificed for us, and he would, at that crucifixion, him being nailed to that cross, he would fulfill completely uh, the Passover that had been practiced at, up until that time for 1,500 years. So for 1,500 years, and Israel wasn't faithful, they weren't always faithful, but according to the law, according to the commandment of God, for 1,500 years, every year they were to keep the Passover. Every year they were to proclaim the Passover. They were to proclaim God's salvation, God's deliverance. When God's death angel passed over them because the blood of the lamb had been applied to the doorpost of their household. So Jesus is going to present himself as the lamb. 
and he goes to the temple of God, and he teaches. This is what he's doing this whole week. He's going and he's teaching. And as Jesus is teaching, as he is teaching, it says that the people believed, many of them believed. A lot of people came to see him because this is a guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. And so, hey, remember Lazarus? He was dead for four days. This is the guy that called him out of the tomb. So people were coming to see Jesus for all kinds of reasons. And even Greeks, not, not just Jewish people who lived according to Greek culture, but these are Greeks. In other words, these are Gentiles who were worshipers of God, who heard about Jesus and came and they wanted to see Jesus. All of this culminated into Jesus saying in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. If I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And Jesus is saying, now it's time for me to be glorified. It's time, my time has come. And many people believed, but many people didn't believe, in spite of all the signs and all the things that Jesus did in fulfillment to the prophet Isaiah. God had closed their eyes, and they could not see Jesus. Verse 42 and 43, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So what we need to understand is cancel culture is not new. It's not new to social media. It's not new to Facebook. It's not new to Twitter. It's not new. Cancel culture has always existed. Technology changes, but sin doesn't change. Same sin Jesus is dealing with here, same sin we're dealing with today. Same sin we saw in the garden, same sin today. The Pharisees love the praise of men. The rulers love the praise of men more than the praise of God. In other words, they loved receiving praise from men more than they loved giving praise to God. We all have a choice to make. We will value what men say and what men think about us more than what God says or what God thinks. And that is the case. Many today are like these leaders in Jesus' day. They feared men more than they feared God. They sought praise from men more than they sought giving praise to God. Didn't want to lose their place in the synagogue. Didn't want to get canceled by the culture. Therefore, we'll pretend like we don't know who Jesus is, though they knew exactly who he was. Do you see things are not very different today? They're not. There is a cost. There is a cost to that personally. Now, I'm not talking about being canceled. I'm talking about denying Christ. There's a cost personally to denying Christ. For all of those rulers who rejected Jesus because they feared men more than they feared God, they paid a heavy cost, an eternal cost. But there is also a cost culturally. 
We are seeing and we are living with that cost today as men have largely sought to please other men rather than to please God. Christ is our hope in life and in death. The cross of Christ is central to all things. The cross speaks of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So when we use the term cross, we're not just talking about Jesus dying on a tree. The cross, if the cross was only the death of Jesus, then we don't have any hope. But the cross speaks of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, which led to the ascension of Jesus to receive the kingdom that will never, ever pass away. The kingdom that is filling this earth and swallowing up all other kingdoms. That's happening right now, even though you may have difficulty seeing it in the current environment we're living in. But trust me, it's happening. Pilate had a sign nailed to the cross. It read, King of the Jews. The Jews protested very loudly. But Pilate did not care about their protest. That's who they brought That's what he was labeled. But Jesus is not only the king of the Jews. The ascension of Christ to the Father means that Jesus is the king, period. The king over all. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is Lord and king both in heaven and on earth. Christ is the hope of the world, but the world can't see that hope. The world is seeking hope in every place and in everyone other than Christ. And this is not new either. This is the age-old problem of sin. Sin is the rejection of God, and sin is unbelief in God. And all people believe in something. If we're not trusting God, then we are at the very least trusting ourselves. And you, know, you do know that's very easy to do, right? And we do it in ways that we don't even realize. We put ourselves in the place of God in ways that we don't even realize we're doing it. But God in his grace has a way of reminding us and showing us. And then it's up to us to repent and stop putting ourselves in the place, the only place that God can fill If the Lord is not our God, it is very likely that we have become our own God. The world is in turmoil, and that turmoil can be said to be caused by many things. We've got viruses, we've got uh, what, what they're calling worldwide pandemic, a uh, lot of fear-mongering. There's wars, there's financial crisis, there's violence, there's hatred, there's division. It's presented to us on a regular basis. There's a crisis at the border. There's a crisis in our world, somewhere, everywhere, all over the place. The enemy loves for God's people to be in crisis. Because if the enemy can get us into crisis mode, chances are we're going to take our eyes off the Lord and begin to trust in other things and look to other things this is not a new tactic this is what the enemy does 
If he can't deceive us and get us to willingly submit to him and reject God, then he will bring a crisis to our life that will get us so disrupted that we will begin to look at anything and everything out of desperation in order to solve our crisis. Very often, people turn to God in a crisis. But then when the crisis is over, they turn away from God again. That's not the worship God demands. That's not the people God seeks after. Jesus, I read it to you in verses 44 through 50, when he says, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I'm not the one that's going to judge him. It's by the words you reject will judge you. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. And so the favorite cry of the world is, you can't judge me. And if we don't read the scripture very closely, we may believe that lie. He who rejects me does not receive my words. And he has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The world can talk about God. It can talk about gods. It can talk about spirits and spirituality. It can talk about all kinds of things. But if Jesus is not recognized and proclaimed as Lord, there can be no faith in or allegiance to the true and living God. You can call it God all day long. You can say you believe in God all day long. But if the Lord Jesus is not Lord, if he is not the one, the Lord, the King that you are looking to, that you are bowing to, that you are submitting to, whoever or whatever you call God is anything but that. It's a lie. And the world does not want to accept that because if the world were to accept Jesus as true, if the world were to accept the word of God, living and written and inspired, as true, then the world would have to admit that they are subject to that word and subject to that Lord. And they do not, and they will not do that. So they make up other gods, and they make up other belief systems, and they make up other ways to solve their crisis. Right now, it seems our favorite god is government, because government has the answer for everything. And it seems like government has unlimited resources to do whatever it needs to do to save every one of us. Now, if you are in Jesus, and you know the truth, then you know that is a lie. Jesus said, he who sees me sees him who sent me. Jesus said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. That means if we will not see Jesus, we will not see the one who sent Jesus. If we won't see Jesus, we won't see God. If we don't believe in Jesus, then we don't truly believe in God. Because it doesn't matter what all the celebrities and all the popular people say, all paths do not lead to God. 
only one path. The Bible says it's narrow. Leads to God. The other paths lead to destruction. It's not our words alone that matter. It is our life. It's our obedience. And if our life does not match our words, we will be judged accordingly. Thank God for his grace given to us in Jesus. We all have fallen short, but Christ has lifted us up in his grace and given us eternal life. Faith in ourself is not faith. Faith in government is not faith. Faith in any other God or religion or whatever you want to fill in the blank with is not faith. It's sin that leads to destruction. Faith in Christ is life. It is trusting in the only one able to save, the only one able to lift us up out of sin and out of death and present us acceptable before the Father. The cross of Christ is the hope of the world. We have to be crucified with Christ. We have to die in order to truly live. That's why the cross is not a popular theme in churches these days. Nobody likes to talk about the cross. Nobody wants to talk about the blood. Nobody wants to talk about death. We want to believe that God is going to save everyone and there's no consequence to sin because there just isn't sin. Because everything goes. And whatever you believe, it'll all work out in the end. Well, only through the cross are men made right with God. That means only through the cross can men ever truly be made right with one another. Because it's not just being made right with God. It's being made right with one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 Paul writes, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sin, their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, now then we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Specifically, we are called to proclaim the gospel, and through the gospel of Christ, through the cross of Christ, men are reconciled to God. This is the reconciliation that must take place. It is reconciliation between God and man. And that can only happen through the cross. So there is no philosophy. There is no spirituality. There is no belief system. There is nothing outside of Christ. Nothing outside of the gospel that can bring true peace and true hope to this world. And only through the cross of Christ can man be reconciled to God. And if man is not reconciled to God, then there can be no lasting reconciliation between men. You get this? This is why John says, don't tell me you love God and hate your brother because if you hate your brother, you don't love God. This is why Jesus links in the new commandment loving one another as he has loved us with true love for God. The ministry of reconciliation we have is to reconcile men to God. We are 
commanded to command men to be reconciled to God. And only out of that reconciliation can men be reconciled to one another. Social justice. We have so much talk about this today. Equity. All of these things. It is the gospel that will bring that equity. It is the gospel that will bring justice. It is the gospel that will bring all men to a place of inclusion with one another. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of Christ. This must be our prayer. This must be our work. For in Christ alone is our hope. Paul prays a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 23. He says, this is my prayer for you, Ephesians. Written to the Ephesians, but written for us. This is the prayer for us today, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the church seated with him in heavenly places at the very same time while we are working here on this earth doing the work of ministry right here praying and working to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our work. This is what we're called to. And the only hope of achieving that is through the cross of Christ, through the gospel of Christ. And it's not just pastors, but it's all believers who have to preach that and teach that and live that and model that. And then we will see God move. Amen? Have hope. Jesus is king. Let's get ready to come to the table of the Lord. Last night at the Seder, we, we talked about those elements of the Seder that would have been there in the time that Jesus would have had that last supper with his disciples. Very different than what you see in a traditional Seder, perhaps. But there was... There was the bread, the matzah, and obviously there was a cup because it talks about the cup that Jesus drank, the cup that he blessed. And it was during this last supper, during that Passover meal, that Jesus instituted what we're getting ready to come to here. 
when he lifted up that third cup and that piece of matzah and and he blesses it. And when he blesses the bread, he says, this bread is my body broken for you. And when he lifted up the cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood because how have we been redeemed? By his blood. What was given up and broken for us that we would have peace with God, his body. So at that Passover, for the very first time, Jesus, who, the, who is the Passover, institutes the Lord's Supper. This is why churches all over the world every week come to this table making this proclamation, proclaiming the body of Christ and the blood of Christ because this is our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. So as you trust in him as the only Savior, as a covenant member of his body, welcome to Jesus and welcome to the table. Let's all stand. The Bible is filled with promise. It's filled with hope. It's also filled with warning. And if you have any level of discernment, I think you would agree that we're living in a day and a time in which we can sense there are things happening that we should be warned of, that we should be aware of. If the cross of Christ, which is the gospel of Christ, does not become central in the pulpits of this country, central in the church, central in the hearts and the minds of God's people, then there is nothing else that can absorb the impact of what will result if we do not repent and God does not heal our land. Something is coming to a climax. Something is coming to a head. Now, it may be years down the road, but I think we can all agree that as quickly as things have changed over the last months, just the last months, We don't have the luxury to say, like Hezekiah, well, praise God, it won't be in my day, it'll be later on. That's sinful anyways, because we need to think about our children and our grandchildren. The answer is not to heal the wound lightly. The answer is the gospel. And the answer is that we proclaim the gospel, we live the gospel The answer is the love of God made known and manifest through the people of God. Patient, kind, steadfast, but uncompromising love communicated and lived through an uncompromising gospel. A gospel defined by the scripture, not by the imaginations and the whims of men. Christ was crucified, Christ died, Christ was buried. Christ is risen. That's our hope. And we of all people need to be hopeful people. This is good news. Jesus is king. And Jesus invites us. I say Jesus commands us to take up our cross and to follow him even into death. And that's okay because even in death we have life eternal in him. Be hopeful, church, but don't be naive. Live with your eyes wide open 
walk through this world as a light shining bright for Jesus. Amen.